New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is David Schweidel. David is the Rebecca Cheney McGreevy Endowed Chair and Professor of Marketing at Emory University's Guizetta Business School. He's an expert in the areas of customer relationship management and social media analytics. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Despite the recent news around Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX or Coinbase's recent $100 million settlement with the New York regulators, blockchain technology is here to stay and it's going to have profound game-changing consequences consequences for how the internet works and how business operates. And more specifically, it presents opportunities and also risks for marketers. So this year, I plan to conduct a series of interviews with academics about research into the intersection of this technology and its related elements with marketing, which is why, to kick things off, I'd like to have this big picture conversation around what blockchain is and how, in the broadest sense, marketers should be thinking about it. First things first, definitions. Your paper provides provides one of the clearest definitions of what blockchain is and how it works. So I'd like to start there. First, blockchain technology. It's a distributed ledger technology, but what does that really mean? Can you describe it in layman's terms? So if you think about the way that companies typically manage their customer data, it's a database that they have. Yeah. Google has data about its users. Meta has data about its user. No one else has access to it. Distributed ledger technology by design decentralizes it. And so there are effectively multiple copies of the same ledger. So they're replicated and you don't have one central authority that owns that data. Okay, so what's a block? What's in a block? So a block represents a transaction, a bit of information. And the blockchain is, as the name implies, a temporal or time-ordered sequence of those blocks. And the importance of the decentralization comes in because as blocks are added to the chain, that decentralized ledger, that distributed ledger needs to be the same for everyone. So we need to go through a process of validating the blocks as they are added to the chain. And by doing so, that's where some of the security comes into play that nobody can manipulate without checking against the other copies. And if they don't match, that block is not going to be accepted. I see. So how is it that they know that something is part of one block and not another. How does the system know the difference between blocks? So these blocks, they're time ordered. They contain that information pertaining to a specific transaction. And there needs to be a validation process that occurs in order to authorize that block to be added to the end of the chain. And the way that that's typically done is by solving some complex mathematical problem such that the the members of the blockchain, the participating individuals, that there's consensus that is reached and Through that consensus, it approves the addition of the latest block to the existing chain. 
Right. And the validation process is where blockchain gets its bad environmental wrap because the Bitcoin blockchain uses something called proof of work, which is what you're talking about. To validate these transactions requires highly specialized computers and it, it takes something like 100 sextillion tries to get the correct answer. And so it's impossible for a bad actor to accrue enough computing power to take control. But there are other ways to verify transactions like proof of stake, which bring the energy costs down to that of normal cloud computing and proof of stake. Are there other ways of validation? Yeah, there, there are other mechanisms that are used. There's Byzantine fault tolerance, proof of elapsed time are some of those. So within these blocks, assets can, can be stored, informational assets, and, and these are called tokens, right? And can tokens, are tokens anything that's digital? You can think of it that way. You can think of it as a digital asset. So it could be a piece of art, right? It could be a digital image file. It could be a song. It could be a text document, right? So it could be any form of digitized data. And this brings us to NFTs, which stands for non-fungible token. And does that mean that it's the official digital thing? What is it? I mean, non-fungible in a digital world is this digital photo is exactly the same as that digital photo. They are the exactly. same and there is no scarcity. And so is it is it a, is it creating uniqueness? Is it creating a false sense of scarcity? What what is it? In some sense, it's creating that uniqueness where it's a digital asset, just like any other token, but it has a unique identifier that's associated with it. And so the value of it, there's still, I think, a fair bit, bit of questioning that's going on is suppose it's an image or suppose it's a short video that has a unique identifier attached to it. So you own the well, official NFT and this unique identifier kind of validates that for you. You know, that doesn't mean that there aren't other copies of that image or that video floating around, but you can lay claim to this NFT was created by someone. There is only one of them in existence and I have that asset. It's like the Provence of a painting, right? Like exactly. you have this, this proof of it. Although again, as a as an artist, I, I think, but it's the same thing. What is the value? Is the value the fact that it's unique or is the value the picture or the thing? Like I, I what think- is it that you're getting the value of? I mean, if I think about one of the ways in which Spotify, you know, revolutionized music is it took scarcity out, you know, that this is the Absolutely. way it changed. And so this brings scarcity in and it seems so, so strange to me. And I've gotten different responses to this because I've talked about it with folks kind of coming from an arts perspective. I've also talked about it with my finance colleagues. Right. And I get very different perspectives when I talk to those two different audiences, as you can imagine. (laughs) Well, sure, because it's a, is it art or is it an investment vehicle, right? Um, well, and, and there are some that would be even on the finance side, like, you know, I'd say, OK, well, is the, can we think of this legitimately as an investment? Hmm. And the folks that I've talked to are skeptical of that. Right. Well, I mean, it it kind of I mean, you or I could mint an NFT and we can make it available. But as you said, you know, it's it could be the same image that is floating around the Internet. Right. What? Yes, it, it's the only one that has this unique identifier attached to it. But where does the value derive from? Is it that 
I had the only true one that was minted by this particular artist, and therefore I view it as an investment, or is it I derive utility from the image itself, and I don't care if it's the original one or a knockoff. Well, exactly. And there, what's interesting there is, is do you purchase just it as if it were artwork, or do you also get the underlying IP? I mean, like the, the board ape, I think you get the yeah. underlying IP and then it has some utility. You can use it, you know, so you can leverage that. But if you, sure. if you can't, because artists typically retain their IP, you know, even if you sell your painting, you are, you, the artist are the only one who can then make reproductions, postcards, tea towels, what have you. That's your copyright. And I think this is going to intersect with kind of the emergence of or the popularity of generative AI in the not too distant future. Well, and that's a whole nother, you know, where IP, how that works. Suppose you have a Banksy NFT. Right. Well, that image, other people can see that image. You own the official digital artwork, but those generative AI could slightly could learn that image, learn that style, and all of a sudden are producing sim- a similar aesthetic. Right. And so it's, printing it's... postcards based on that. Right. Right. And then then where are you? So so then, I mean, this is, gosh, we could do a whole conversation around that. Where do smart contracts fit in? So I have an NFT. Is that tied into a smart contract? What What is it? And how does it how does it relate to we've got blocks, we've got hashes, we've got tokens Great within question. these blocks. Yep. What's a smart contract? So a smart contract is distinct from an NFT. And the best example that I can give or the best context that I can wrap my I had around for thinking about smart contracts is if you've been through the process of applying for a mortgage <laughs> and you've gone to the office or, so, or, you, or somebody's come to you and they drop the stack of paperwork on the desk with all of the places that you need to sign, right? Imagine you didn't have to do that anymore, right? Mm. Imagine having a contract that is effectively automated such that you know, once you meet certain criteria, the next step is automatically triggered. Once you meet certain criteria, the next step is automatically triggered. Well, what, what's interesting though, so this is our disintermediation, right? But it exactly. seems to me that there are a lot of vested parties who who charge all those fees and those mortgages. Those are revenue and pots for them because it's not that absolutely. much work, but they charge. So it's good for a consumer in that. Eventually. Eventually. Because this, right, this is where regulations are also going to play a role in this, right? Mm. You know, if the transfer of assets requires us to go through that trusted and vetted intermediary versus I set up this smart contract, perhaps there's a fee that I have to pay in order to use that smart contract. But I'm fairly certain whatever that fee is, it will be less than the man hours needed to have the lawyer, have the bank go through this process. Well, and also it's going to be applied fairly. This is the rule. This is how it's applied. You you know, we're not going to have any sort of unconscious bias slipping in there. But anyway, so let's get into the nuts and bolts of how this, what this means for marketers, what they should understand and how it's liable to become part of the world of marketing. So again, backing up, what are some applications that blockchain has for marketing? And can you give me an example, like a really concrete example? Absolutely. So you, you know, you, we, we've talked a little bit about artists already. Let's broaden that umbrella to content creators at large, whether that's 
kind of visual art, whether that's a musician, whether that is a television show or movie. Mm-hmm. The entire creative industries have the potential to take advantage of blockchain technology. For example, I know Taylor Swift managed to break Ticketmaster. Right. And I don't know how you know how frequently you you go to concerts, but what's happened is when the tickets first go on sale, for the most part, they're not getting purchased by human beings. Right. Right. They're getting purchased by bots. Right. And then those, you know, the people and sort of a brute force attack. So they get all the tickets. Right. Exactly. That there is just minimal opportunity for an actual human to get a ticket at the original price that it was intended as. Right. You know, my wife went to go and see Adele in Vegas. She had to buy a secondhand ticket. Right from the resale market, everyone that was attempting to buy Taylor Swift tickets were paying exorbitant prices because of literal scarcity of the tickets. Well, which is then, and then the the artist doesn't get that; they only well, get the original it, yeah. price. So it, it really is a and for the artists. A lot of them have come out against the use of these bots, saying we want our fans to be able to see the show. We set this price for a reason. What the tickets are going for now for Taylor Swift or Adele, but it's like you know you're closing people out of the market who might really want to see it by saying. The ticket that was originally, let's say it was $200, is being resold for $1,000. But how does the blockchain change that? How does the tech well, what, change What it? if you, as an artist, didn't need to use Ticketmaster to sell your tickets? Right? What if you could have what if you could use blockchain and smart contracts in order to execute that automation? How would that prevent a bot from just brute forcing my blockchain? And that's where you know, that's some of the details I think need to be worked out. But if you can validate that this is an actual human being. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Right. So there would still need to be some of that upfront going on in order to distinguish human from bot. But then right. in terms of the sale of the tickets, you, know, you can still run. You know, it still runs as a sale saying, okay, the tickets go right. online I at see. this particular time, people log into the queue at this particular time, and you allow the smart contracts to execute. I see. Right. I see how that would work. So again, it's that disintermediation. It says Ticketmaster is currently the only way that ticket sales can happen. It is vulnerable to bots you know, buying up all of those tickets. Can we remove the need for that intermediary? Interesting. Another thing you mentioned earlier in the conversation was the idea that a distributed ledger is this data storage, you know, that it's, and so Absolutely. for a marketer and- that, that would be valuable in terms of, you know, it isn't owned by, let's say Facebook or Google, but I guess exactly. the other question I have there though, is if data is oil, again, you have a real interest if I'm a marketer and there's a blockchain, is there a way I can keep, how do I take advantage of that? And yet also, you know, I want my own private data and how does that work with, you know, GDPR? How does does that work? You know, there was just the case in Europe around Facebook. And I, I believe the initial case where it was decided Facebook cannot use its data for, it can't force people to accept personalized advertising. I believe that was just overturned, but there is, there's, it's, this is going to be an ongoing discussion, data privacy and data ownership. 
You, well, I, you, the listeners to your podcast are probably well aware of the fact that Google and Meta are ad platforms. We as consumers view them as you know a social network or digital tools. But at the end of the day, these are ad platforms. That is their fundamental business model. Right. And we are the product and the users are we the, are products. the product. We're the products being sold. And so, and exactly. so as a marketer, you think of these platforms as, as platforms, ad service platforms. And exactly. so I guess there would be smart contracts. Would this help with brand safety issues? Could it? Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by brand safety? If I'm posting, is there a way that blockchain could make sure that when I you know, you get on and the, you know, that my ad isn't going to appear proximate to something that's going to be offensive. Uh-huh. Yes. Or so also the, the fake clicks, like I I'm paying for impressions, but are they real impressions? Are they bot impressions? How will it right. help there? So let, let me back up and take it in two parts, both the consumer side of this and the brand side of this. Okay. So from a consumer side of this, marketers want to reach consumers, right? That's the goal, right? Yeah, I always go back when in my classes, I go back to the original Matrix movie when Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus holds up a Duracell battery and says, this is what the Matrix was is about. It's about turning people into batteries. Right. Right. Well, what these platforms have done, again, by design, is turn consumers into the product. The right. consumer is the product being sold to the marketer. I have a slight problem with that because these platforms are built on two things, consumer data and consumer attention. And when when an advertiser says, I want to reach David or I want to reach Gabriella, I'm going to pay the platform to do it. Well, the value that we as individuals get out of it is a little bit lopsided because you can make the case that these platforms themselves deliver value to consumers. And I can buy that to some degree, but if we were to look at Facebook or Meta, Google, Apple printing money based on selling that access to the consumer, my contention would be the consumer should see some of that, right? That sure, we should business. get micro payments for for exactly. because we are essentially we are creating the platform which allows them to make money. That the mil- that our our micro participation creates a value. My participation creates value for you. Your participation creates value for me. And if we don't play the game, they don't get it. You have no business. Right. 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 And so it, what we're talking about essentially is an attention market. Right. If consumers are willing to give our attention, whatever platform it's on. I'm willing to consume content. I'm willing to be exposed to content. Marketers right. are saying, I want to reach these people with my ads. Well, so the dis- that's where the disintermediation comes in because it doesn't matter what platform you're on. You're se- it's access to the consumer. Mm-hmm. The place where the smart contracts come into play is say, all right, you tell me about yourself as a consumer. What information are you oh, so could this totally replace to it? Uh, you cut right. the platform out entirely. Now you still need a the, the platform still has a, a potential role in that I'm on TikTok, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, but it's that ad space. And but I've I could, I case, mean, could potentially just go with me here. Okay. 
could there be a platform that is built to to allow consumers to sign up, say who they are, and if marketers want to talk to them, there's a little payment for just Absolutely. being available yeah. that 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 right. it cuts That's out that this is that you know this is my income level and it's maybe verified somehow and so you know. let me let me float a, 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 a possibility by you which i believe would actually solve some of the data privacy data ownership issues for a company like meta hmm. suppose we're and you know, we have to think about the framing of this but suppose you effectively have a subscription version of meta and hmm. let's say it's 10 dollars a month right that there are some people who say, I don't want any advertising. I, I just want access to Facebook or Instagram. There is a price that I'm willing to pay for zero advertising. Right. You have other consumers who say, well, I'm willing to share some, I'm willing to accept some advertising, but I'm not willing to share data, right? I want generic advertising. Right. And the some businesses will say, well, I just want to advertise to general population. Right. Those consumers maybe part of their subscription amount is defrayed by generic advertising. You've mm. got other consumers that might say, I'm willing to share detailed information. And you have advertisers that say, I want to reach very specific groups of consumers. Well, the smart contract serves as the matchmaking process. I see. Based on the data that you want to use, based on the data the consumer is willing to share, based on the valuation that the consumer has set saying, I'm willing to share my data, but it needs to exceed this price point. And right. marketers being able to say, this is how much I'm willing to pay in order to have access to this type of person. So I'm not selling the data so much as leasing access for a period of time or rather a particular ad slot. Right. And, and the smart contract allows you as the consumer to manage your, I mean, it's the permissions. It's it's what GDPR you, it and, control. and right. So stepping back again, if I'm a marketer at Gigantacorp CPG, I, I'm not going to create this on my own. I've got to wait for a third no. party to build it. Right. So it's more yes. a, a being aware of it kind of thing. So that's one thing. The other thing you mentioned, and I found this at the end of the, the end of your paper, and I, I thought, well, this is really interesting. And it was about the potential to quantify intangible assets, things like brand equity. Could you explain how that would work? Because that too, not only serving ads and targeting, that's very interesting. Have to wait for somebody to build it for me. But I, right. as a marketer, I would like to figure out, you know, how could I measure this stuff? You know, being able to prove my worth to the CFO, that would be nice. So how would that work? And do I have to wait for somebody else to build it? Or is that something that I and my company could participate in somehow more actively? So I think this is one of the spaces where it's going to take that active collaboration between researchers and industry. I think you need a collective of marketers, a collective of advertising companies that say, we see the direction the world is going in with regards to data privacy, with regards to data ownership. We see the, the direction the world is going in and we want to be on the right side of this. From a brand equity kind of perspective, if we think about the content that brands create and what is the value of that content that brands are creating. You had mentioned kind of the provenance of art earlier in our conversation. Right. And for any digital asset, this allows us to kind of create that digital provenance of who has been exposed to it, who has accessed it. And if it's integrated with 
your CRM, if it's integrated with your sales system, to be able to see here is the exact sequence of exposures, here's the exact sequence of information that has been presented to you, what is the delta that that has created in terms of your expenditures, your future spending with the brand. NFTs may be thought of as kind of a symbol of your affiliation, a symbol of your loyalty to a particular brand or to a particular artist. So this gives us a means of quantifying that, saying, hey, there's going to be a limited number of these made available. What are people willing to pay for it? And that does give us an indication of the strength of that brand. Oh, right. But not every brand has that kind of quality, I guess, you know, that I, I mean, mean, you know, know, sort of, there's like a, how would you like, it's Windex. I'm not going to be like, I have the first Windex NFT. (laughs) You know, that's just not, that's not going to happen. And yet I may say that's the glass cleaner I love. And so there is brand equity, but how would it be measured? And I think this is one of the places where it's still evolving. So let's say it's the Windex or the Gillette NFT. And I might be incredibly loyal to these particular brands, but I'm like, eh, you know, the, the Windex or the Razor trading card might not do anything for me. I think the question is <laughs> going to become, what are the uses of these NFTs? So for right. example, if the metaverse actually takes off, right, right. right, is it something that I can display in the metaverse? Right. If I have my digital property, my my do I have a trophy case of NFTs that I can put on display and show off to my friends? Yeah, that's yeah. a little bit different from where NFTs currently are. Right. I mean, I guess as a as a solid Gen Xer, it just makes my head hurt. <laughs> to be completely honest, I think, oh gosh, I don't know. Oh, it seems well, like a lot so, of yeah. You know, right now. It's a it's it's purely a digital asset. Okay, I spent a lot of money and I'm the first one to have this, but there's not that kind of, for lack of a better term, social element to things. Whereas right. if you buy, you know, a designer outfit or you buy a handbag, you know, that from a luxury brand, you derive utility from others being able to see you using it. Right. So the social signaling that's going on there. That's interesting. So so it to to step back, we're sort of at the end of our time, time frame. The, if you were to say, when is, when is this liable to actually be something that marketers can, and I'm speaking blockchain, not, I mean, obviously NFTs already exist, sure. um, but the blockchain, the distributed ledger, some of these bigger, you know, disintermediation, which could really change pricing, smart contracts. When do you think people start to see that as something that begins to impact their daily work? From a technology standpoint, I don't think we're that far off from it. Oh, wow. So less than five years? So, for example, there's already a web browser, Brave, that gives kind of micropayments, but then you give those micropayments back to the content creators. So it's been deployed. Not many people are using Brave. And that, I think, is indicative of kind of the bigger challenge here. And as you had mentioned earlier, there are parties that have a significant interest in in things not changing. Right, right. Right. You know, financial companies, I would say attorneys, you know, that are practicing, you know, the social, the platforms that serve us ads, they don't want to see things change. I think that's what's going to hold, hold us back more so than is this technologically possible. 
Interesting. It makes me think of France and how there are regulations around like metiers of somebody who irons shirts. You know, it's still a human okay. doing it because they've protected it. And you, you sort of think, oh, golly, it, it's interesting to see where where regulation will end up coming down. And if there will be these protective steps in terms of keeping certain types of white collar employment as is or systems. Right. As is. And I mean, it's the same question that's going to be happening with other technological advancements. We've seen the explosion of these generative AIs and that's going to, yeah, that's going to challenge some ex- existing industries. Right. And I don't think it's going to replace those industries, but I think it's going to force us to rethink them. And yeah, as a capitalist, I have no problems with a company like Google printing money. I have no problems with them making a lot of money based on the service or that they are offering to their customers. But right now, I think there's a disconnect, especially for these platforms, because from a consumer standpoint, we see their business as the social network. The but platform, it's, the, it's the surveillance capitalism, right? I have a love-hate relationship with that term. But I think the problem is the lack of transparency that's existed and the fact that it's so imbalanced. The place where surveillance capitalism, in my opinion, gets to be problematic is when the majority of the revenue that's being generated by the business is not related to that product with which consumers are interacting. The majority of the revenue is generated by their data. So if we can rebalance things a little bit to say, revenue that you derive from consumers should be tied to the value that the consumer is getting. If you want to say, I'm going to use that data, I'm going to use that access to the consumer's attention in order to, to make more money, that's fine. But consumers should be seeing some of it. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. We reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who quoted our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next. <laughs>